uh, everything that happens here in this book uh, is where the presence of God is, is not readily known, and yet we see the invisible hand of God moving uh, in this place. And so, and so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Esther chapter 7. And this is what we read. So the king and Haman went into feet with Queen Esther. Maybe stand over here at once. Hey, it's 50-50 uh, whether or not it's going to work or not, right? Let me turn that down too. All right. All right. Esther. Ha-ha. So the king and Haman was the feast with Queen Esther. And on, on the second day, as they, they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen, Queen Esther? It, sh it shall be granted to you, and what is your request? Even to half of my, my kingdom, it shall, shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If, if you have found favor, if I favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be, be granted my wish and my full for my request. All right. Yes or no, until this point, from what we know about Xerxes, he is a... Whatever. whatever. No, whatever. Yes or no, Xerxes is, is a nice guy. Up until this point, what we've, uh, what we've re read, what we've heard about King Xerxes, he's a nice, respectful gentleman. Yes? No. All right, some of you haven't even paying attention, but that's okay. We'll do, we'll do a re recap. Uh, up until this point, Xerxes has been an absolute crazy person. He has a throne. It is as seven feet high made of pure gold. He makes people bow down in front of the throne even if he's not, not there. He's got a nice rug in front of the throne. People step on that without permission. executes them. Uh, he made his wife come before him uh, completely naked except for the crown that she was wearing. Um, and she said wisely, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. Uh, uh, he um, uh, divorced her, sent her off somewhere else. Uh, he is not a, what we would call a, a reasonable per person, right? He is not a reasonable individual. And up until this point, it, it has not been made very clear uh, that he's a gracious man, right? Right? He's not a moral husband. Uh, and we all know he doesn't make the best decisions after drinking, right? right? Uh, and so after uh, he'd been drinking for, for 180 days straight, that was one heck of a party. Uh, he's drinking for 180 days straight. That, that's when he ordered Queen, Queen Vashti to come into his presence. And so the king doesn't make good choices. What's up with that? But again, again you know, in this, in this passage, does the queen treat her husband with disrespect? No, he doesn't, doesn't have it. It's very interesting when looking at this, this, this model of behavior in Scripture uh, that the queen, even though, though she has every right at this point, maybe to be upset, maybe to, to do something violent, you just ordered the execution of my entire people. He's still, still just a king with the, the respect that is due to his position. I need you, need you to work on that Bible. It, it's not working with me. You all applaud for that, I'm just saying. Now, what I find in this particular passage 
And what you can sort of see is the evolution so as this book progresses is she, she starts off with this just as a woman, woman really has no clear definition of faith in, in her life. Now, now I want to uh, uh, be very careful that I'm not being too judgmental of Esther um, because faith isn't displayed in the early chapters of the book. book doesn't, she doesn't, doesn't have it. Uh, however, when you look at the decisions that she makes and you look at, at her lifestyle and patterns, it's very easy to draw the conclusion that faith can play a, a large role in her life. Perhaps she is what we, we would officially uh, uh, call a Sunday Christian. Maybe she's a person who, who really only has faith when it, it, it suits her or when it's going to, to advance her vision in, in one way. However, what we find is that, that as the book progresses, Esther's faith sort of grows as, as she practices it. And it's a, a very applicable situation for us that, that faith will actually grow if we practice it. Uh, faith in, in itself doesn't stay uh, minutely by itself small. Uh, that as we practice it like the like a muscle, as you exercise, as that muscle grows larger, larger and stronger. Um, if you go to the gym, gym well, congratulations to you. Uh, I, I I don't because uh, um, I can't do that. That's just weird. Um, however, uh, as you go to go to the gym, you have repetitions of muscles, and you exercise the same muscles on over. They get stronger, they get larger, and so it is with faith, that faith, when exercise, grows larger. And you see Esther here, starting thing out, where she's like, you know what, I'm just going to take, take care of myself, I'm not, I'm not going to, uh, uh, I'm not going to really stick my neck out, I'm going to take any chance with God, God, right now, this is the big moment when she is finally pra practicing this faith, and she is growing in that faith with God. And what we see here for Esther is that it's never too late to start practicing faith, to start growing in, in your belief, to start growing in knowledge of Christ. Esther starts off in this shell, in this, in this uh, she doesn't use her Hebrew name, she uses her Persian name, she doesn't do anything that she's supposed to, she doesn't observe any of the dietary laws, she doesn't observe her any of these sorts of things. She simply uh, is uh, uh, self-contained. And so what we see in the story of Esther is that it is this never too late for S.S. to grow in that knowledge. Okay. Working, which is nice. This is what Esther continues to say. She says this, For we have been told, I, I and my people, to be, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely slaves, slaves, men and women, I would not have been silent. Uh, I, sorry, I would have been silent, for our sin is not to be compared with the loss of the king. Even, even in this point, she's being respectful, probably more so than any of us would be to, Esther, uh, to the king's observer. She's still being respectful. She's still saying, you know what? Uh, if we had just been slaves, we could deal with that. Like, you know, we've, we've been slaves before. It's... it's you know, worked out for us in the past. It's happened before. God has come through for us. However, uh, we don't, don't want to be slaves, but we, we could be slaves. And so what she says here is, uh, you know, I would damage the kingdom if you sold us into slavery. It would be fine. Uh, but perhaps my paraphrasing here is, is essentially the, the message that she's trying to get over to the king. I don't want to be murdered. I don't, I don't want to be killed. I don't know. You seem to be, be a little see this morning, so maybe none of you can, can appreciate sort of 
not irony here, sort of the way that she phrases this, just, just you know, you know what, these soldiers were slave, that's cool, but they don't kill me, right, right, it, it, it's not cool, and so she, she says, I don't be murdered, now at this point, uh, she's been really timid, she's been, she's been choosing her wor words carefully, uh, but now, right, right now, she's about to enter this point where she uh, doesn't hold back uh, the, the, the point of her argument, this is a big, you know what, uh, I want my freedom, I want it from my people, uh, I want this to go right. And he says this, uh, the king, uh, king says to Esther, who is, who is he, where is he, who has dared to do this? And this, and this is getting my favorite part of the story, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. And, and Esther said, a fun enemy, this wicked Haman. Now, now, can you imagine the scene? You've got to imagine this. Uh, there's a table. There's food on the table, plates, gold, gold, cutlery. Uh, they're not lacking for anything in splendor. There is food probably from across the entire empire displayed on spine table. They've been eating for a while. They, uh, in Persian uh, culture, they recline at the table, so they're probably sitting down, down elbow up, or, or in their splendid silk robes that come to the corners of the empire. They've been drinking. It says that the king had been, uh, his heart was made, made merry with wine, that, that he has uh, overindulged in wine. And so, so you have to imagine that in the, this point, up until this moment, Haman has been pretty re relaxed, right? Tomorrow I'm going to Mordecai. It's going to be great. King and queen have invited me to this feast. This is the second one I've been invited to. It's fantastic. Haman just sitting there, <coughs> eating everything. And then suddenly the queen says, you know what, my people have been have been uh, uh, on the chopping block, and at that, that moment, you prob probably think to yourself that, that Haman's being, uh-oh. Is he right? Like, it's this moment when you realize the mistakes have been made. Uh, I'm young, I'm, I'm young enough still to remember some of the times in my life, life that I've made mistakes, and whenever I do, there's this moment of realization when, when you're standing, um, you're the kid who's knocked, or, or, or about to knock something off a counter, and then you're like, there's, there's nothing at this moment that I'm, that I'm just off that. Uh, last week, I was setting up the, the speakers, the old ones still up. Uh, I was playing with one of these boards, and I, and I pulled on a cord a little bit too hard. And as I was standing on this side, I just saw it start to lean. And I thought to and that was the moment, right? That was the moment I thought, thought to myself, mistakes have been made. What can I do? And I thought to myself, I could run as fast as I can, but, but I'm going to be honest between you and you and me and the lap folks. I'm not very fast. I'm, I'm more, of, more of a common runner. I'm, I'm really a, 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 a slow, slow meander as opposed, opposed to a slow. And as it started to fall, I, I was thinking, well, that's about right. And then it At the point in this feast, I'm sure Haman is just sitting there completely blissfully unaware. Nothing is about to go horribly wrong to him. He has filled his... <coughs> he filled his stomach with food, he has drunk his, his fill with good wine, and he's sitting there, and suddenly Esther comes up, and I imagine Esther standing up and pointing, because I'm a pointer. A foe in me, this wicked Haman. And, and then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Haman switches instantly from very relaxed, calm figure to crap, just gone sideways. Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, again, it, it may have these moments, maybe you don't. I remember the first time I was in Bozeman, Montana, dry, driving, you know, we were doing kettles, it had just freshly snowed. I was go going on the, the freeway ramp, it was a big, you know, curvy thing, I'm, I'm, I'm driving my car, and suddenly, 
you know the feeling the car is out of your control and you start to slide and there's that mo moment you're just like like oh it's just gone sideways and then you start praying in those, those moments apparently you start praying more than you've ever before in your, in your life i'm sure what is happening to him suddenly his entire life, life flashes before his, his eyes he thinks how has it come to this my, my life is going so sideways and, and says this wicked demon this foe and my i am in me and you've got to imagine Haman, the most powerful man on the face of the planet. And he's done, done to kill the entire Eric group, and he just realizes this moment is that man who pleases the queen. And not just any queen, this is the queen that has the king's favor. And so maybe Haman starts playing. I, when, when things go, I, I, I immediately start like this checklist in the back of my mind of how I'm fixing things. Uh, I'm not sure if you're the same or not, or if you just like to stand back and watch the world go burn. But for me, I like to do this checklist. Like, okay, what can I do to stop this? What can I do to, to make this better? Uh, I don't know what went through Haman's mind, but what I can tell you is that Scripture says that he's terrified. He knows right here, right now, now that it is on side side when he is probably going to, to die. And the question for us today is, have you been there? Maybe not in this particular situation. I don't Im imagine any of you here have tried to kill an entire ethnic group. And, and if you have, that's another, another set of conversation that we need to have after the service. But have you ever been, been there in a moment when your sin, your pride has done something, uh, it's taking control of you in a way, and you think, how do I fix this? How do I get back to where I was? How do I, I, I correct, correct this? How do I... Uh, uh, steer this car back onto the, the road. Sometimes, sometimes situations, they can terrify us. Sometimes those situations are really uh, those, those moments in our lives when we, uh, what's, what's going to happen from here? I don't know. Alright, what happens in the story? The king arose wrath and the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for, for he saw harm was determined against him by the king. This is probably the, the, the little bit of bit of flesh that Haman has played in the story. He's like, ooh, really upset the king. Maybe I should ask his wife for mercy. <laughs> and the king arose in his wrath. There's some, some really interesting parallels in Scripture between sinful humans, the way, the way that humans act and react, counterposed to the way that the, the king of the universe acts and reacts. So let, let, let's do a little bit of this. A king who has sinned against has the, the right to respond with wrath. Okay? Now, a lot of people don't, don't like the word, word wrath. They, they, they think that the word wrath, you know, you've got, got this picture of a loving God, um, and, and, and it doesn't quite, quite stop, right? It doesn't really, in our minds, we don't really think of, 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 of how the wrath fits in with this love. Uh, what you need to know about, about God uh, uh, is in Scripture, God is described as a God of wrath more than he's just described as a God of love. In Scripture, uh, Scripture itself is way, way heavily towards the wrath of God. But what we, we think about, about when we have wrath, we think of maybe uh, like a petulant school child having a temper tantrum. We think maybe it's it's unjust. Like, you know that that, that kid uh, wants to be the, the, the leader on the playground and who, who doesn't get away, so he takes his soccer ball and goes home, or he's throwing throwing sticks or stones at people. You know that that child, uh, not not messy children, 
No, yes, no, amen, anything, anything for giving feedback back here. I'm tired. Right, I went to a wedding yesterday. I've been up. I've been different time, time zones the last couple of weeks. I'm tired. Give me feedback. Right? So these kids the, 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 the throw the temper tantrum. And when we reread the wrath of God, what we think of is that God is like that. Did he throw a temper tantrum? The reality of the wrath of God, as found scripturally, is that it is the consequences of sin that in its wrath, it is anger and it is justice. That's the wrath of God is. It's his divine justice. It's his, his righteousness saying there is an imbalance in the universe and it needs to be weighed and it is uh, weighed and corrected by wrath. Now, a little bit of an, of an example. If you were to turn in your Bibles, you have to, I'm going to tell you the story anyway, uh, but if you turn, turn in your Bibles to Genesis, Genesis chapter 4, you would find the story of Cain and Abel. It's one of the fundamental stories. Pretty much everyone knows this story. You've got Cain, who's the first firstborn. Uh, he is a, uh, a fruit farmer. Um, for, for all intents and purposes, he makes fruit and veg. These are here. Then, then you've got Abel, his brother, his younger brother. He is a... Uh, a a, a goat herder, a, a shepherd, he has a flock. And two of them come to present their offer to God. Uh, Cain offers fruit, and Abel offers the first fruit of his flock, which is the firstborn lamb. And God is pleased with Abel's offering. He is not pleased with Cain's. Some other stuff back there we don't have time to get into. Uh, and so Cain, Cain uh, comes to God and says, God, why aren't you pleased with my, my offering? And God, God, well, you didn't do it with the right heart. Uh, and he says to Cain, I, uh, your sin is crouching at the door. Sort of a, a, an interesting mental picture that sin crouches at the door, almost like a, like a lion ready to pounce. As soon as you open that door, boom, it's sin. Like, like you've seen a movie, that's what we're talking about. Like that thing, you don't open the door, right? right? You don't go up, up, you don't turn on the lights, you huddle under your bedclothes, and you just pretend you're asleep, you don't open the door to it. And so, so Cain lures his, his brother out in, in the field, and he smashes his head in with a rock. First murder recorded history, right? That's that's the story of Cain and Abel. There, there's an interesting bit after, after that that some people gloss over. Uh, God appears and says, Cain, where is your brother's uh, where's your brother Abel? And Cain responds, Am I my brother's keeper? And that is yes, you are, but that's a whole other sermon. Uh, but then, then God does something very interesting. He says that your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Then he goes and curses his cane, but, but, but ever sort of skates over to this brother's blood cries out, out to me from the ground. The word cry there in Hebrew does not mean tears. It, it's a, it's a, a Hebrew word, but it's sa'uk, give or, give or take pronunciation there. And what it means is a cry of injustice. What it means is, uh, if you imagine your house has been broken into and you've been robbed and they've caught the person and you, you go in for the ju judge and the judge I need you to ensure that there is justice in this situation. It is a suuk. It is a cry of justice to the judge. It is uh, this way that this needs to come down. This is the way this needs to happen. And, and so throughout all of Scripture, you have this understanding that there is a right and wrong way for the world to be. There is the, the scales of justice. And when they are out of balance, then the wrath of God, God which is righteous indignation against sin, is put to the accountable so that it evens up again. Does that make sense? And so in your sin over here, we gain that balance down. The only thing, uh, only response God can have to that sin is his wrath, which then brings it back to balance. And so what we see here 
Uh, in the story of Esther, uh, is that the wrath of the king, who is a bad king and in no way a reflection of Jesus, uh, this bad king, has a response of wrath. The, and so what we, we see is that it is a, is a human trait that is given to us by God. It's something that we shared, an attribute of God, God that we share with him. So when something goes wrong, we want to correct it. When there, there is something that is uh, in, in, in balance, or is unbalanced, we want to make sure the scales right themselves. Like I said, the wrath of God is spoken more than 600 times in various ways in the Bible. What we see, see here is a picture of a, of a king's wrath against an enemy, and now God, Lord Jesus Christ, the king who, who has wrath against his enemies. The book of Revelation paints a fierce picture of those that stand against Christ. The Jesus who appear dressed in white, his robes dipped in blood, carrying a sword, having eyes that literally are on fire. And I want you to know that last line, our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the king who is against his enemies. You need to know, know if you're in a state of non-salvation, we, we are his enemies. And so that wrath is poured out against those who, who don't believe. Now this is sort of, of Christianity 101, and I apologize for those who maybe have already heard this know this. But it, it, it's really a quite simple equation. All of us sinners, sinners, by the nature that is within us, our human nature, and then all the choices that we, because we are sinners, we are justly exposed to the wrath of God. That wrath of God is poured out on us on, on Judge Day. However, for those that believe in Jesus Christ, the, the wrath of God that was, was accorded to us on Judgment Day instead was poured out on the, on the cross of Christ. And so Jesus absorbed wrath on the cross. And so wrath, the real thing, however, it is a response, a righteous response to sin. And, and Jesus, the perfect king with the perfect wrath, enacts perfect justice to his enemies. King Xerxes is not, not a perfect king. We've, we've seen that over and over and over again. He is, in fact, a terrible king. And so his wrath is balanced. We've seen that. We've seen that whenever Xerxes loses his te temper, he makes a petulant child-type decision, and he kills randomly without any reason or without any rank or regard. And so, so instead of that, that is the picture of a human king, of a sinful king. In contrast to that, we have, have picture of Jesus in Scripture, whose love is perfect, whose wrath is perfect, and whose justice is perfect. Moving on, on don't have much time. And, and the king returned from the, from the palace guard to the, play, uh, to the place where they were drinking wine, and as Haman was falling, falling on the couch where it was, and the king said, Will he even assault queen, <coughs> sorry, the queen in my presence, in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. All right. Do you think at this moment that Haman was th thinking about trying to seduce Esther? Like, no, right? No, no, no one here logically is thinking at this moment that what's going through Haman's mind is, hmm, maybe if, if I seduce Esther in these next 30 seconds, that she'll have mercy on me. That's, I, I, that's not what, what's going on here. Here's, here's the idea, I, I mean, what I think. I think the king wants to kill Haman for this. Uh, but I think the king also realizes that he's the one that signed the edict. So the king realizes that he has blood on hand. So if he kills Haman for the reason, oh, you try, tried to kill Jews, 
he's under the same penalty because he signed the decree himself. So what he's trying to do, I think, is come up with a, an additional way or an, or an additional reason rather to kill Haman. So the king walks in and sees Haman and says, oh, here it is, this, this reason. I can kill him for this. He's from my wife. wife. There, there's irony throughout this, this book. Here's one that you just can't get past. Haman lied about God's people so, so that he killed them, and now his king is going to lie about him, him so they can kill him. Don't you love irony? I love irony in script. Some of you aren't as interested as I am. That's fine. I've got the microphone, so I could talk another half hour if you wanted. Seeing as none of you were impressed with the irony that I found in script. script. There are these great ironies when people put their foot in King Jesus opposing to the decree of God. There are ironies throughout all of Scripture when someone puts their faith and trust in something that is mutable and, and going to change, is going to fail them, rather than putting their faith in God who never changes. And they come to it, they covered Haman's face. This again is the traditional cultural representation. They covered his face so that no one could see the face of the king's mouth. Haman really, really wanted a king that he could impress. He wanted a king that he could believe in. He wanted a king that would reward him. He wanted a king. And this longing that Haman had, he put it, put it in the king. He put it in King Xerxes rather than the king of the universe. We see that Jesus is our king. First Corinthians 30 says that one day we'll see our king face to face. The reformers talked talk of this and called it Corinthia, which means it faced God. What it means is simply that you and I will one day stand in the presence of God. Philippians says that everyone's going to stand in the presence. Those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth. And it says that every knee will bow in the presence of God. So what you need to know is that whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, you're going to see the face of Jesus. What will happen after that, that is your choice. Whether you believe in Jesus and, and accept him as Savior, or you reject him and don't. It doesn't matter which, which we'll see Jesus. What will matter is what will happen in eternity. And what you and I have to do, have to live, live face of our king. Haman's to live in the presence and the face of his king, but he had, he had a horrendous king. He had a terrible king. He had a perfect king. And so as we go to face today, as we end our time together, I want you just to reflect on this. We have a perfect king. Haman did not. He had a king who was full of failures, full of sin, filled with, with all sorts of horrendous, absolutely horrendous ambitions and impulses. King Xerxes never once held back anything that he ever wanted to do. And instead of that type of king, we have a king who loves us enough 
that, that understanding and knowing his wrath needs to be poured out, poured out on his own son, rather than poured on us. I, I really don't know what more I can say to that. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time you've given me to come to your presence and to worship you. I pray, Lord God, that you would be with one of us until we meet together again. I pray in your son's precious name. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen.